Yesterday afternoon, we had a congregational meeting here, and Pastor Joe and I talked about it briefly early this morning, and we just decided it would be good if I would just mention here how grateful Pastor Joe as pastors here are for what we saw yesterday, the participation, the engagement, and the involvement of you as a body, of, uh, as a church family. It, it's just a joy for us to see the support of this congregation behind the ministry. And the highlight of the meeting yesterday was we had a lot of things to, to work, to discuss, and to vote on, but primarily the number one reason was we were talking about voting on, in another pastor couple, which we did yesterday afternoon. So we are just grateful for you as a body, for you as a congregation, for the support we have sensed. And this pastor couple, Jonah and Valerie, Chitty are not coming yet. That will probably be more like in January sometime. We don't know yet. There's no, no finalization yet because now the other part of the process has to get in motion. So we're just grateful that happened, and we look now forward to the next phase. Our sermon title this morning is Baptism, a Sign of New Life in Christ. We had a baptism service here at the 9 a.m. service, and it was packed. Some of you were here already for the first service. It was good, and so you're here again. That's great. But we couldn't in no way pack them all in. That was not possible. And so we had a baptism service, and we heard their testimonies, and it was a joy to hear how God has worked in the the lives of these individuals and the faith journey they've been on and have been through and so on. And so after the baptism, we closed the meeting and would have liked to just have everybody here. But like I said, it's not possible. However, I did a little short follow-up sermon on that or sermonette, and I want to continue on with that through this service. Baptism, a sign of new life in Jesus. When Jesus walked this earth, he had different ways of teaching. One of the ways that Jesus taught was he would go to a synagogue and and take the word, the word of the prophets maybe, and read a portion and explain it. And the people sitting in the, in, this, in the auditorium, they would listen, and so that was a preaching sermon that Jesus would do. And sometimes he would just preach wherever he was. But many, many times when Jesus would teach, he would tell a story. He was a master storyteller. Or what he would do, he would use illustrations of human life, ordinary human life. He would use illustrations of ordinary stuff that happens. Well, when Jesus walked to Jerusalem on that final journey where he was going to be arrested, tortured, and crucified, that final journey was a very interesting journey. The people who were walking with him, they had their idea of what this was going to be about. They expected, okay, the apostles especially. The apostles thought on Palm Sunday when he walked to Jerusalem, this is it. He's going to take over. He's going to be the new king. From here on in, it's Jesus, Lord, and King of Israel. That's what they were expecting. That's what they were assuming. They had no idea what was going to happen Thursday night and Friday morning. They had no clue. Even the people watching him as he entered, they were shouting, praising, putting down their clothes on the roadway and cutting branches and putting them down, shouting Hosanna and that kind of stuff. There were a few people, or a small number of people, they specifically wanted to talk to him in person. The Gospel of John talks about that. We want to pick up our scripture passage this morning. is John chapter 12. Verse 23, John 12, 23 and on, and Jesus answered them, these people who wanted to talk to him. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. 
If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will be my, my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. This is what I expanded on for the baptism service. And I want to use this in, as a launch point into the bigger, heavier part of what I want to say this morning. It's interesting how Jesus refers to himself as being glorified. And what he meant when the crowds were surrounding him, he was going to be glorified, all right, but he uses the illustration of a grain of wheat falling into the ground and dying. He was going to go to glory through suffering. Yes, he was the king of glory, but here he's talking about dying. When he says in verse 24, let's look at this a bit closer, verse 24, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies... It remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Now this was what he was talking about, about himself, what was going to happen on that, that Passion Week. That's going to happen. But there's an application on a wider scale here, not just himself. Jesus is saying death and fruit bearing are inseparable. A, grain, a seed cannot produce fruit unless the seed dies. The seed can no longer, it transforms into a plant, but the seed it's, itself ceases to exist. The Bible teaches that sin brings death, and only God can deal with the issue of sin. So in order for humanity to have a chance at eternal life, because they're under the judgment of God, for eternal life to come into existence, death to sin had to happen. And it was Christ's death that made it possible. And it was not like Jesus had a variety of options, you know, this option, that option, the other option, I'll just die and then that's, that's good enough. No, this was the only way. God had planned this would happen. He, he prophesied this would happen. He would send his son Jesus and as a man into this world. Because humanity was under sin, under God's judgment, the scales of justice had to be balanced. And there was no one whom God could accept for this other than his son Jesus. But with his death, Jesus being holy, he brought death to sin. He brought an end to the old way. In his resurrection, he brought a new covenant of grace into existence. And with dying and rising from the dead, the church age could begin and it did at Pentecost. In this passage here, Jesus takes that, he shifts his focus a bit, and he expands that a little bit. He says, whoever loves his life will lose it. Whoever loves his life will lose it. Volunteering to die is hard. Verse 25 says, whoever loves his life loses it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. There's not both and. It's an either or. According to Jesus, the earthly life cannot coexist alongside the spiritual life simultaneously of equal value. And when he says hating one's life, he's not referring to mutilating our bodies. He's not referring to that. What he's referring to is the contrast, how much higher we value the relationship with him than our physical bodies. According to Jesus, the earthly life can never override the spiritual. We are flesh and blood people, but the flesh and blood must serve the spiritual. We need God. If we put ourselves ahead of God, Jesus says, That's, then you lose your life. Jesus makes it very clear, there is an either or here. With him, there's no in-between. And that's the interesting part about Jesus when you study him. He never said, oh, yeah, you can be the world's friend, be my friend, cool, it's all good. And he never taught that. He never said that. He said, it's either me or the world, not both. He expands a little bit further in verse 26. He said, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, where I am there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. So it's not just him going to glory, not just him 
producing fruit. This even extends to those who are saved. As a man, Jesus traveled a very difficult road in this life. But he traveled that road to glory. It was not a glamorous road, but it was the road to kingship and authority. The road to greatness is a journey of death to self. Let me repeat that. The road to greatness is a journey of death to self. For us to have eternal life, the old nature must die and a new nature must rise. On that day when Jesus walked into Jerusalem, what we just read about in the Gospel of John, whatever it was that people were thinking, whatever it was they were expecting from Jesus, Jesus knew they were wrong. His disciples were wrong. The crowds were wrong. Jesus knew how this would end. Oh, he'd be glorified, but not the way the people thought, not in the way at all. This was the furthest thing from their mind, a suffering king, a crucified king, no less. He was telling them he was going to be killed. That's why he was like the grain of sand, the grain of, the grain of wheat, rather. But he would rise to life and bring fruit out of that event. Jesus' kingdom was not of this world, and he said so before Pilate on, Thursday, on Friday morning before he was crucified. Here in this passage, we see Jesus making the connection between life and death. Because the reality of sin, if there's no death, there can be no life. There's no new life without death to the old self. New life is where it's at, and the self must die. It may seem strange to modern ears today, Because of sin, the path to new life always passes through death. Death is something we don't like to think about or talk about, and with good reason. And it's not God's plan. He was going to do away with it one one day. But for now, it exists in our world. Where it becomes important is in our spiritual lives. We know we will die one day physically if the Lord doesn't first come and take us home. But generally speaking, every one of us here will die sooner or later. That's a given. In our case, we don't get out of here alive, so to speak. We die and then we move on. To illustrate this symbol of baptism that, we, that happened here this morning, Paul does a wonderful job in, in expanding on, his, on this topic in his letter to the Romans, what this truly signifies, how this looks, and so on. In Romans chapter 5, Paul talks about how Adam sinned, and through Adam, everybody was contaminated with the sin nature. But then he also goes on to explain how through Jesus, everybody now can have new life. Everybody has, this, has access to God through faith in Christ, through repentance. And faith in Christ, we can all enjoy the new life. So let's expand this morning on this passage, and then let's turn to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, beginning verse 1. Paul says, What shall we say then? Are we, continue, are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ, Jesus, were baptized into his death? There's the image of baptism. Let's continue verse 4. We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. The first thing we want to see is baptism is a symbol of having died to sin. Baptism is a symbol of having died to sin. That's our first point for this morning. Our public, physical, 
baptism is a symbol of having joined Christ in death. Jesus didn't die for sins he had done. He hadn't done any. But he died for the sins of the people. The death of Christ was a permanent payment for the sins of the world. To put this a little bit into perspective, we can view it like this. If God had picked a normal sinner, normal ordinary sinner, to die for the sins of the world, that sinner would have just died for his own sins and couldn't have been raised because he would have been justly punished for his sin. The payment would not have been valid. The payment had to be a perfect holy payment to satisfy the justice of God against sin. A simple example would, would be this, something like, let's say you owed a lot of money to the bank, and you're totally bankrupt, you can't pay, and so now you're going to pay the price, whatever that may be. Until another person offers, well, I'll, 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 I'll pay, I'll pay, only to learn that person's bankrupt too. They can't pay because they're bankrupt too. Everybody's bankrupt. We're born bankrupt. But Jesus was not bankrupt. He was holy, perfect, and true in a relationship with God, full of love and truth. And he said, I will lay down my life so those who trust and believe in me and repent of their sin, they will rise to new life with me. We will never fully explain it in this world, but that's what he teaches us. It's a hard concept to understand, it's true, but it's true. And this is something that becomes a reality in our life as we, prog- as we move on and as we grow in our walk with Jesus. I would like to just throw out a concept here this morning. Maybe you already do this. Some of you maybe do this already. How would it be if every evening when you finish your day and get ready for bed and the last thing you do is sit down and take a scribbler, a spiral notebook, and just make three columns, one on the left, one in the middle, one on the right. On the left-hand side, you write down all the things, the struggles, the failures for the day. I know it doesn't sound exciting, but let's say you did that. The misery of sin and the failure and all that stuff is not exciting. You write all that down. And maybe the blessings too, but make sure you write those things down. And the first list would be just the struggles, short phrases, things like, I got envious today, I snapped at so-and-so today, I was dishonest today, whatever the case may be. Second column, you write down how you responded to what happened, things people did to you or you did to others, how did you respond? Negatively? Did you lose it? How did you respond? I failed because I got mad or... I was mad, at, back, mad back at the other person. Then in the far right column, you write a prayer of confession, a prayer of repentance, or a prayer of thanksgiving, depending on the event you wrote down. And you would go to God and ask forgiveness and engage and get up again. We're born new to life in Christ, but the journey goes on. Another word that you could use here would be New management, be under new management. You sometimes see sign, under new management. When we become a Christian, when we become a follower of Christ, we come under new management. We do not have to be enslaved to the misery of sin. God never intends it for his people. Oh, yes, we'll struggle. We have to keep on repenting, but that's part of the journey. Sin is dealt with at the cross. We're cleansed from our sin, but then comes the phase, phase in life. It's not, it's not like the old. Let's read verse 7 to 8 in Romans chapter Chapter 6, 7 to 8. For one who has died has been set free from sin. The debt no longer counts. Now, if you've died with Christ, we believe that we'll also live with him. The new has come. This point number two. Baptism is a symbol of having died to sin and risen to new life. A life of freedom. Without death of the old self, there is no freedom. The new self can't live. There are many, many stories of people who've embraced this. When Jesus comes into their lives and Jesus takes over, those people are no longer the same people. 
They come, become convicted under the presence of the Holy Spirit. They receive new life, comes into existence. This is a new birth. The old habits, the lifestyle patterns, they simply don't fit anymore. And with the new birth, there is this life eternal in the heart of the person who believes. Paul mentions that in the next verse. Let's read verse 9 to 11. He says, we know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. He's Lord and King. For, verse 10, for the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to Christ Jesus. How do we consider ourselves? Do we always have this mindset, oh, my poor, whatever I am, poor me, I can't, I can't conquer, I can't have victory, it doesn't work. True, without Christ for sure, yes. But once we die with Christ and rise to new life, there's a different phase of existence for us. We're now not just bound to the here and now. We are in the here and now, but not bound to it. We have a future. That's the last point I want to make. This new life is eternal, beyond time, having died to sin and returned to new life, beyond time, that lasts for eternity. So we must live dead to sin. Living dead to sin. There's no words in the English language that I can think of that does justice to the concept. I just don't know of any. By the way, my vocabulary is limited. I'll admit that. But I have not found a sentence structure or anything, any, any phrase, any words that do justice to this concept. How do you live dead? We live, we live, to, we live in this world as though sin has no control, no power. A lot of people live dead to God, but living dead to sin is what we're called to do. Death is a limiting thing. It brings an end to whatever it controls, but life is the reverse. Where there is life, there's an awareness that transcends the human mind, what we can grasp. We do not yet know what eternal life will be. We just barely know what the physical life is. And some things are best experienced instead of described. See, Jesus came to earth as a man. He lived and taught as a man. He taught the gospel. But more than that, he lived the gospel. When he was crucified, he was dead for three days. He rose from the dead. Death has no hold on him anymore. How special is this to us? How much do we value this, this reality, this relationship? We know in this world we will struggle, but we are redeemed never to die again. Even though our bodies will die, our souls will live forever in Christ. Does this spur us on to connecting more with Christ, to walk closer with Christ? It should, and for many it does. So what's our response to all of this? How much do we appreciate what God has done for us through Jesus Christ? Let's continue reading Paul's words in verse 12 to 14. He says, Let no sin therefore reign in your mortal body, the physical body, to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you're not under law, but under grace. Even though we've been saved, and are in relationship with Jesus, we are still here still faced with temptations, still living in a mortal body, attacked by sin. That puts a damper on things, granted, sure it does. 
But what does Paul say in Philippians? He talks about, he said, I long to be with Christ. Oh, I'd like to stay here for your sakes, but I long to be with Christ. Every one of us should have that mindset. When Paul says in verse 12, let's read that again. Let not sin reign in your mortal body to make you its passions. This is something we must take on. You see, it's, it's like a physical exercise. It's not like you go to the gym and you have an exercise program that you're following. And by the way, you're too tired to follow it. and You just let the coach do the exercise and then you walk home. Now, you say, that's ridiculous. But do you know how many people go to church on Sunday morning like that? They go to church, hear a good sermon, hopefully, and sing some songs, pray. But there's no connection to the, to the weekly existence of life, the work, whatever it may be. We can never say God allows temptations to come into life for, for the sake of making it hard for us. That's not it. He allows temptation, true, but to exercise us. Even Jesus was tempted. Paul writes, we're not to obey its passions. How do we know which desires are wrong even? Sometimes we struggle even with that. Is this God's will or not? If something does not bless our relationship with God, if something does not draw us closer to God, if something hinders us in our walk with God, and even hinders another person, it's probably a bad idea. Our passions can really trip us up. And he says in verse 13, Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. We must always strive to to become more Christ-like in everything that we do. That's what this is about. And yes, these bodies of ours, we will give them back one day, but even here, now they're not ours. We're not just free to do whatever we please. We have the opportunity, we have the choice. In a sense, we are free, but we'll be held accountable what we do with them. Our bodies are on loan to us for a short time. Then God will take our bodies back. And where we are in eternity, in relation to God, depends, have we received grace? Have we received mercy? Sometimes I wonder in my own life, how, how come or why do we put so much emphasis in this short temporal lifespan that we live here, knowing it is so short-lived but pay so little attention to the coming life that's in eternity and never goes away? And it's not wrong to improve our lives, our, our economic lives. I'm not against that. That's not what the Bible teaches. But if it comes at the cost of a relationship with God, then we have a choice to make. We have a choice to make. Verse 14, as he says, For sin will have no dominion over you, since you're not under law, but under grace. This is a very comforting truth. We will not measure up. We will stumble. We will fall. But as Paul writes, sin will not have dominion over us. We get up. We move on. It will attack us. Make us look bad even. But what sin cannot do is turn our hearts away from God. Satan Satan does not have that power. But we as God's people must decide where we want to go in relation to him. It's a beautiful passage. I read it at the outset. I mentioned the Gospel of John, chapter 12, verse 23 to 26. You see, God had a plan. He came to earth through his son Jesus. He fulfilled that plan. Jesus laid down his life for the sake of humanity. He loved this world. And today, Jesus is reaching out in love to redeem those who respond to him. Today, God invites people to lay down their lives for the sake of the Gospel, to find eternal hope in him, When people find new life, they're changed forever. God can reach any man, woman, or child if they respond, they will be born into the family of God. 
This morning, as I mentioned earlier in the early service, the 9 a.m. service, three new believers publicly declared Christ as Lord and received water baptism. By the way, if you want to hear their testimonies, they were recorded, so you can go to the uh, recording later on when it's uploaded, either today, sometime, or tomorrow, and you can listen to those testimonies. Very beautiful. You see, when Paul wrote his letter to the Philippians, he had a very interesting thing to say, and I want to just briefly highlight that. In uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 8 to 11, he talks about Jesus. He says, and, he, and being found in human form, meaning Jesus, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that's above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, folks, where it comes down to, where it culminates, where it all comes together is Jesus Christ, always is. Jesus is the center. He's the end all of the be all. Revelation talks about that. All of us believers can look forward to, to this. To be one with Christ here and now is great, but it's even greater when we come to eternity. That's the blessed assurance of the believers. That is our blessing. I want to encourage us. When we think of stories that Jesus taught, uh, the grain of wheat and going to the ground and dying, we live in a sin-riddled world. For us to bear fruit for Christ, we too must die to self, die to sin, and only then can the fruit of the Spirit grow in our lives that glorifies God, helps to mature us, and blesses the world around us. Let us pray. Lord, we give you praise for the words of Scripture where we find meaning, purpose, and most importantly, where we can find life. You came to die on our behalf so that we can live with you now and for eternity. Lord, that is the greatest gift. You want us to walk in relationship with you. Lord, may we be diligent in walking humbly before you in this world. Thank you for the blessing of life. In your name we pray. Amen.